I, I don't know about you, but I actually, actually find work fascinating. In fact, I just, I just love to watch people work. Mark was cleaning an oven down during the week, and myself and Ben were sitting there. We were, wasn't it a great time? We, we just sat there, we relaxed, and we just watched this guy just working hard. The sweat was breaking on his forehead. But you know what? It was really enjoyable. I really enjoyed it, actually. So um, I did, yeah, honestly. I'm not joking. I'm serious. And we get this opportunity today in chapter 3 to look at men and women at work. So I'm going to read some verses, first of all. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, I'm going to chicken out. I'll tell you why. There's a lot of long names in here. <laughs> and I simply can't pronounce them. So, um, so that's the honest truth. That's just being honest, okay? But um, we're going to start in verse 1 and do a few verses, and we'll jump to the end. So verse 1, it says, um, Elizabeth, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and sent its door. I'm sorry, and set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated as far as the tower of Hanel. The men of Jericho built the adjacent sections, and Zucker, son of Imre, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the son of Hasana. They led. Just said fast. Just said fast. That's the way to do it. They led its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Miramoth, son of Ua, the son of Hakkos, who knows, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshalom, son of Berekah, and somebody else made repairs, and next to him, Zodak, son of Baran, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulder to the work under their supervision. Verse 31, it says, next to him, um, Malkasheh, some of the, uh, um, one of the goldsmiths made repairs as far as the house on the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner of the sheep gate, the goldsmith and the merchants made repairs. Whew, that's about as much as I can cope with. Now, we, we, can either, we can either read this particular passage and look at it as, as basically a long, boring list of names, or we can begin to hear the hammers pounding and the, the workers shouting, and then the creak of the gates as they begin to move for the very first time, perhaps in years. And as you begin to see this story, you begin to hopefully feel some of the tremendous energy and excitement that is building, that is going on, as these large group of people seem to accomplish the most challenging and difficult of tasks. Now, the big point, the big message of chapter 3 is that this list of names of people are here all together to build these walls. Well, actually, nearly all. In verse 5, it tells us about certain people, or certain rulers who actually thought they were maybe a little bit too important to get their hands dirty. But we get something of the excitement that goes on here in seeing how many different people work together to accomplish this amazing task. As we get into these lists of names and, 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 and places we've got, I'm going to stick the slide up there. Um, there's a slide, hopefully, on the thing. Card A, if there's, uh, 
on the, sorry, on the, on the wall just, yeah. Um, you, as we get into this list, there's, there's lots of different gates that are mentioned during and throughout this particular passage. Now, there's a danger in maybe reading a little bit too much into these things sometimes. We can sort of almost add a little bit of political or, or, or a little bit of our own sort of preaching license into these things. So I hope I don't go there. Um, but I also believe there's something that we can learn from some of these names and, and some of these gates that we can apply to what it is to build a strong church here in Chester. So Nehemiah begins, and he is walking around, he's surveying the walls, he's, he's, he's imagine with a notebook in hand, he's making notes, he's making a list both of the places where the people are working, but also the names of the people who are working in certain places. And the wall work begins at the Sheep Gate. It's the northeastern corner of Jerusalem. You can just see it up the top there, in the northeastern corner of the city of Jerusalem. The sheep gate is so named because this is the place where the animals would be brought into the city. This, of course, would have included those who were to be offered for sacrifices, so the lambs, the sheep, brought in for sacrifice for use in the temple as well. It's near the temple, and actually for very obvious reasons, this is the place where the priests... I guess, took on as their special project to do the work. The description then moves anti-clockwise, so it heads around. Fish gate comes, and it heads all the way around. There are 10 gates that are mentioned there. And then in verse 31 and verse 32, we come right back down. It's Nehemiah comes right back down round to the sheep, the sheep gate once again. He starts where he finishes. You know, everything, in everything that we do, we must begin and we must end with Jesus Christ. In everything that we do, we begin and we must end with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything must come back to Him. And we need to be Christ-centered in everything that we are doing to have a great faith in a great God. Listen, it's only when we have a faith like that that we will be able to face the challenges and the difficulties that we will almost certainly face. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Now, what's interesting about this first gate, the sheep gate, is that it's the only gate that where it says that it's been specially um, set apart, sanctified, and dedicated to the Lord. It doesn't mention about any other gate. It's also a gate where it doesn't say there are no locks and there are no bars on this particular in this particular gate. And I guess there's this prophetic pointing towards Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the open and the only way into the presence of God. Listen, there's no other way to God the Father. It is only through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only way to God himself, and he is the one who gave his life, who was the ultimate sacrifice, give his life as a ransom for many, the one who took our sin and our shame and our guilt and was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. And we come to God through the sheep gate, through Jesus. That's our way to God. 
through him. He is the only way into the presence of God. Listen, everything, it begins and it ends with Jesus Christ. And listen, it's everything else in the middle. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Our hope for now and for eternity. The second gate we come to. Who can tell me the second gate on your little list? Gate number two is called the? Fish gate. So we're going to walk past the fish gate. Ignore it. We're going to come to the third gate, which is the? The old gate. Excellent. So we've got the old gate next. Now, the old gate leads into the new quarter of the city. Now, it seems somewhat odd, does it not, that a gate that's called old should lead into a new area. And yet, there's, there's something of a prophetic sense here in which as we build, we build on the old. We, we, we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, of those who have prayerfully um, and, and also declared God's word, put people in the early part of this church plant, those actually before us in, in Chester City Mission who have faithfully prayed and preached and, and shared the gospel in this place, in this area. Listen, we stand on their shoulders. We stand with them, and as we move and press forward into the new, as we move and see what God is going to be doing in the, in the months ahead of us, as we move forward, we must never despise or reject what has gone before us. The godly and the biblical foundations that have been laid down, because we stand on them. The fourth gate, gate number four, Folks, Valley Gate, okay. So next comes the Valley Gate. This is found in the corner of the city walls. It opens up into the Valley of Himnom. Now, we often talk about, about valley experiences. What we mean by that is, is, I guess, those challenging, those difficult times that come into our lives. And listen, every Christian needs and has Valley experiences. In 1 Peter 5, it tells us perhaps one of the reasons why. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and he shows favor or grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that you, that, sorry, that he may lift you up in due time. Listen, it is so important that we understand that when we go through valley experiences, it's so often the thing that will shape our character most that will shape us to become more Christ-like, to, to bring humility sometimes into our life. Listen, it's those times we often find that prove God's faithfulness. Listen, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, and it's through them that we often just learn to surrender ourselves completely over to Jesus Christ, to give everything into His hands, to realize, listen, we can't do this in our strength, because that's the truth. And through the valley, we learn that we give everything over to the care of someone who can, Jesus himself. So often in the valley, we learn to develop into the fullness of all that God has got in store for us. From the valley, we head to the dung gate. 
This was in the southernmost part of the city. It's basically the rubbish tip. It's, it's where the, the rubbish was, was, was stored or, or dumped at least. It's not a pleasant place. In fact, Jesus refers to this particular place in Mark chapter 9. He, he actually describes it as a picture of hell. So not pleasant, not a great place. However, this is absolutely essential for the health of a city to have a good disposal system for its waste. Really important. And it may not have been a beautiful name, but it had a very, very important function. And perhaps, perhaps it's a reminder to each one of us that we must remove and get rid of anything that will defile us. Anything that will defile us. Habitual sins. Otherwise, it will destroy you. Romans says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out from us. Listen, we need to come to a place of cleansing. There is only one place, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's only when we come to the cross and we, we come there, maybe burdened down, come with our sins. But listen, Jesus has paid the price. It's been dealt with already. As we bring our sins, our guilts, our fears, as we bring it to the cross of Jesus, he takes it. It is removed. But you know, so often we come there burdened with our baggage. And often we walk away with our hands still full because we haven't been able to leave it. We're sort of clinging on to certain things. And listen, we need to let go. Let go of those fears. To let go of the shame. To let go of the guilt. And to walk away because at the cross of Jesus, people are set free. We move from the dung gate and we come to the fountain gate. Now, this is an important source of water for the city. It's near the Pool of Siloam. It's, it's, a, it's where the water tunnels were, um, which King Hezekiah had built but in the Bible, the water is so often a picture of the Holy Spirit. And there is a spiritual sense here in which we move from the valley, from the valley gate of humility through the dung gate of God's cleansing, and we come to the fountain gate of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's so important that we leave our sin at the cross, that we move away, that we set free, that we empty ourselves of all of that. But listen, we do not remain empty because we need to be filled, but filled with the Holy Spirit. To stand in the fountain gate of God's presence, to allow the Holy Spirit to come and to soak us and to saturate us and to be filled completely with Him. The next gate is the water gate. And Jerusalem depends on reservoirs. It, it depended on, on springs for water because it's, it's not built on a river like so many other um, cities were. But if the fountain gate is, reminds us of the Holy Spirit, perhaps then the water gate reminds us of God's Word. And it's, it's at this particular gate that Ezra and the prophets will bring the people together and will read to them and actually teach them the Scriptures. It's also interesting to note at this particular gate that it never says the gate is repaired. 
It just simply says the walls around the gate are repaired. Perhaps a reminder that God's word stands forever. It does not need to be improved or to be added to or to be changed or to be altered in any way. Listen, we have something so powerful and so secure in God's word. This is where we find our security. This is where we find our hope. Psalm 119 puts it so well. It says, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Listen, if you're going through a difficult and challenging time at the moment, you need to go to someone where you will find security. You go to God's word. You turn to God himself because there you'll find your hope. There you will find your security. The next gate, or we go past the opal gate, and we get to the horse gate. In the day of King Solomon, this King Solomon used to invest a lot of money. He had plenty of it, so he invested a lot of money, and he bought horses in from, from Egypt. This became a really important part of Israel's defense system, despite the fact that so many times they had been told by God, do not put your trust in horses or chariots, but put your trust in God alone. But perhaps here is still a timely reminder to us that, listen, guys, we are at war. We face a battle. Listen, church planting is spiritual warfare. We're, we come up against enemy lines. We're on enemy terms. As, as, we as we see people come to know Jesus, we see as we try to break through, as I think Steve Kerry says, as we, as we punch into the darkness, the darkness punches back. And we need to protect ourselves. But listen, in all of this, we need to make sure that we look in the right place. Just like Peter. Remember Peter? He stepped out of his boat onto the water, if you know the story. And as long as he keeps his eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, he keeps going. But then the storm gets too much for him. He begins to look around and his eyes come off Jesus and he begins to sink. Listen, we need to put our trust in God, in God alone, to put our hope in him. Listen, he is the one who will both protect us and bring security, security to us at all times. He is everything, everything that you need. Last two gates, the east gate. The east gate led directly into the temple, if you can see there. This gate is somewhat sobering because at this gate is the prophet Ezekiel who speaks about it. And he describes in Ezekiel chapter 3, as he watches prophetically, he sees God's glory leave the temple through this gate. A little later on in chapter 43... He describes prophetically as he sees God's glory return to the temple in exactly the same place that is left through the east gate. Listen, a reminder surely that we must not take for granted the presence of God each and every time we meet. Listen, we can, we can put good word, music together. We can even try and put a reasonable talk together. But listen, unless God is here, unless his glory is here, unless his Holy Spirit is here, we are just spouting empty words, and it's just hot air. But when God's Spirit, when God's presence is here, when it comes to rest on our gathering together, lives are changed. People are transformed. We see God's glory come. We come right round almost, and we're coming to the inspection gate or the, the mustard gate. 
This was really had military significance. It's where the army had reviewed, was often reviewed and, and registered. Um, perhaps an illustration to us of the importance of how we must stand together to move forward together, shoulder to shoulder, to watch one another's back. And as we, as we work not for our own gain, but for the glory of God and for the building of his kingdom. See, Nehemiah has this impossible task ahead of him. It seems an incredible challenge to build all of this stuff, but he is a leader who has made a plan, and then he sticks to his plan. And he's such a great example for us to follow as we, we've seen that already and we will continue to see that. But he does not work alone. 38 individuals are mentioned in this particular chapter. 42 different groups of people are identified. There were, of course, many more people who were named and, 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 and who didn't, sorry, many more people who are mentioned who we don't even know what they were called. We're not even told their name, but their work was just as important as that of the others. And for each worker, whether named or anonymous, each one of them is given a place and a job to do. You know, for many of them, where they started? At their homes. They often find that they, they built the wall that was nearest to where they are. And listen, that's a great example for us. Where do you want to start? Start in your own backyard. Start where you are. Bring Jesus into your family, into your community, into your situation. And God uses all kinds of different people. Mentioned in this chapter, there are rulers, there are priests, there are men, women, there are professional craftsmen, even outsiders. We see perfume makers and, and rulers. Listen, who, they don't get their hands dirty normally, but they're willing to mix in with all the other crafts, craftsmen and women and to work together to build this, to build this wall. Listen, there's a place for everyone and a job for everyone to do. The truth is that Nehemiah would not have accomplished very much unless the people were there with him, supporting him, encouraging him, and working hard to build this wall. And this picture, or this, this chapter is a picture of what happens when God's people humble themselves and determinedly work hard together. See, in a situation like this, we don't need spectators. We don't need self-appointed advisors or critics. You need workers, and that's exactly what Nehemiah gets. And he is able to say, since we built the wall, and all the people who joined together, sorry, and all the walls were joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. It's not freedom, church. We need men and women who are willing to work, who are willing just to get stuck in to do, to, to do sometimes maybe the unpleasant stuff, but to, when the job needs done, they just see the job and they get on and do it. We need people who are willing to do all of this for God's glory and for God's honor to build his church here in Chester. But perhaps the thing that stands at the very forefront of Nehemiah's mind in all of this, the one thing that stands out maybe more than anything else, that he wants to do this for the glory of God, for God's glory. In chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. 
See, the people around them are, are mocking them. They're saying, your God is supposed to be great. Well, how come your city is in such disrepair? doesn't make sense. How, that, can't, that can't be a great God. And Nehemiah is concerned not only for, the, for, for a sense for the city, but he is concerned ultimately for God's glory, that God's name would be lifted high and exalted. Listen, the purpose of this church, in fact, every church, is to proclaim the glory of God. And listen, God has given each one of you a specific task, and it's simply this, to humbly and to faithfully do God's will, and in doing this, we bring glory to God's precious name. The building of these walls just finally does, provides one further thing. It brings protection and it brings security to the people who have been living there. You know, these people have been living in a bad situation. Things are pretty rough. In fact, it's pretty insecure. It's pretty dangerous. But over the years, they've just simply become used to it. Up until now, they've just accepted that the conditions they live in is the way they live, and, and they've, 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 just, they've just seemed to have, have put, an up with, to, to put up with it. In fact, they've done absolutely nothing about it. And I guess sometimes we're not that much different, to be honest. You know, we can become very comfortable even in our distress. In fact, we can say, you know what, this is just the way I am. You know what, I, I, this is my lot in life. I'm just going to have to put up with it because, because you know what, I'll, I'll never, I'm never going to be able to, to change. And we live with a level of pain because it's almost become familiar to us. It's, it's sort of almost comfortable to live in our distress. It's, it's, it's even become a bizarre friend. And all the time, we're not living in the fullness of God's best or the fullness of His glory. Listen, it takes a Nehemiah to come onto the scene, to challenge the situation, to break through the status quo, to rebuild the walls again for the glory of God. And I believe today, God's word for some of us is simply this, it's time to rebuild again. It's time to rebuild again. Don't settle for insecurities. Don't settle for the emotional pain. Don't be confined or conformed to labels that have been spoken over your life in days gone by. It's time to rebuild. It's time to break the status quo. It's time to, to rebuild in the power of all that Jesus Christ has won and done for you on the cross. It's time to rebuild for the glory of God. The question we have to ask is how? How do we do that? The word build is mentioned six times in chapter three. Have you ever wondered what they used to build? There's no mention of any new materials in this particular passage. In fact, all that they needed to rebuild these walls were the stones that lay at their feet that had been neglected for years. And listen, you need to know that you have everything you need within your reach in God's Word. It's all there. What do we need to rebuild with? With everything we need in Jesus Christ. Listen, the resources of heaven are just unlimited. There's, we, we will never outdo God in any shape or form. Listen, He has given us everything that we need, and listen, it's within our grasp because of Jesus for your life, 
for your community, for your church. It's not clever new ideas that we need. It's the stones of biblical truth that we build with. It's gospel bricks that we put in place. It's the Holy Spirit's power. Listen, these are the same building blocks that have been used down through the centuries. In that sense, nothing has changed. And when men and women surrender themselves completely over to Jesus, when they live by His Word, when they are filled by His Spirit, we will see the glory of God come again. And we will, we will see revival power come not just in our lives or even in our church, but in our city and our nation. When men and women turn completely to Him. Your life that's given over to Christ completely is unstoppable. But this takes time. It takes prayer. It sometimes takes patience. Nehemiah, as he built, he's not interested in some sort of quick fix. He, he's not about papering over some of the cracks. He is encouraging everyone to do their best and to give up their best to accomplish this great work. Listen, there are no shortcuts in the Christian life. It's a daily adventure of seeking after God, of becoming more like Him. I want to encourage you today as we, we bring this to a close. As we build in Chester, as we begin to rebuild, as we, as we put things together, we do it brick by brick. We do it stone by stone. But we need everyone to play their part. Everyone to put their stone, their brick in place within the wall. We need people who are with us, <laughs> who will stand with us, having a bit of a fight at the back here. <laughs> who will fight hard and strong. <laughs> but guys, we need people who are committed to freedom. Who are going to work hard. Who are going to go through the tough times as well as the good times, but who are going to build something that brings glory and brings honor to the precious name of Jesus. Let's just stand together. So, Father, we want to just, just pray, Lord, as we, we bring this, this time to a close. Father, by your Spirit, Lord, just... Shape us and use us for your glory, I pray. And Father, above everything else, Lord, that we would know your presence, know your spirit just resting upon us and our gatherings together. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh,
Do it.